Welcome to the NLCC Lancaster Podcast. The following message is titled, The Invitation, and was spoken by Bishop Rod Payne. We hope and pray this message blesses your life. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit us at nlcclancaster.com. What a wonderful service we've already had today, presence of the Lord in a great way enjoyed these video presentations and I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about this occasion that we are celebrating we live in troubled times it's it's really a, a dichotomy how that we celebrate this great nation and all the freedom that we have and the wonderful things that we enjoy but at the same time we are in troubled times like perhaps we've never had before. Because while we have faced armies abroad, we have never had such unrest and a disparity of opinions and ideas as we do today. So I'm gonna talk to you a little bit about that. And I believe that God would give us an invitation how that we can really make America great again. And that is bringing revival to this great nation. Can you say amen? Let's pray before we're seated. Precious Lord, we're so thankful for your presence that we have felt in this place. We thank you for this church. I pray that, Lord, the Holy Ghost would speak through us, Lord, that we might, Lord, be drawn nearer to you. I pray to God for a great move of God, not only this morning, but that it would begin and expand beyond the walls of this church into this community and even into this nation. I know that you're able. We thank you for it. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 95, Only three short verses that I'm going to read, so listen carefully. Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. And then verse 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. There's a grand invitation that is presented not only to the nation of Israel through the psalmist David, but certainly applies to us. And through God's spirit, I believe that It has something to say to us today. You know, I I like to receive an invitation. The other day we received a beautiful invitation. One of the young men of our church is going to be married, and it's in a a, uh, a southern city during the wintertime, and I'm just thinking, man, I'm just glad to be a part of that special event. Uh, list of those that were invited it, it just makes you feel special when you know that your name and it's spelled right 
and it's addressed to your address and you're invited to something that you really want to be a part of. Brother Keller and myself, we uh, share some of those lists and uh, he seems to always get his mail like a day before me and he'll call me up and say, did you get your invitation? Not tell him, no, I haven't got it yet. Well, I got mine. They must have thought I was more important than you. I said, no, it's just because your name starts with K and that precedes me in the alphabet. That's the only reason. No, we like to get an invitation. And there's a grand invitation that is presented to us, each and every one of us, in this psalm. It's not an invitation only to a wedding or to a graduation or to some type of special event, but it's something much greater than that. In Psalm 95, we receive a grand invitation to worship God and to enter into his presence. And I would like to present that to you today. And I would like to propose, I'm not being simplistic, I'm not being elementary, but I would propose to you that if this nation would follow this invitation and accept it and enter into the presence of God and begin to worship him, I believe that it would heal the division in our land. I believe that it would turn this nation around and indeed we would see a great revival here. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise if you believe that this morning. <laughs> praise the Lord. Oh, come, let us sing. Oh, come, let us praise the Lord with thanksgiving. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down, let us kneel. This word come is a word of earnest invitation. That is the meaning of it in the original Hebrew language. This same word was used by God to invite Noah and his family into the ark in the book of Genesis. God spoke and said, come thou and all thy house into the ark. Now that was one invitation that you did not want to turn down. When you know that the world is about to be destroyed as they knew it back then, and the only salvation was within that ark as they faced a worldwide flood, indeed that earnest invitation to escape the world and enter into an ark of safety was in especially important to Noah and his family. And in this psalm, God gives his people, he gives each and every one of us an earnest invitation using that same word as he says, come, let us sing. Come, let us worship with thanksgiving. Come, let us kneel in his presence. And in so doing, we can escape the division of this world and the problems that we are facing as we enter into a place of safety, his presence, and we worship him. I want to talk about those three parts of that invitation just for a minute this morning. It says, first of all, that there is an invitation to come and sing praises to the Lord. Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. This invitation to come, indeed to sing, indeed is especially 
distinct from what the world is facing today in our nation. Currently, we know that we are facing a standard that would prevent us from coming and singing the praises of God. I'm sure that you read about it this week. The governor of California, Governor Gavin Newsom, said this, the act of singing itself, talking about singing in church, might have contributed to transmission through the emission of aerosols, talking about the virus, which is affected by the loudness of vocalization. Well, we sing loud in a Pentecostal church and everyone said amen. amen. And the governor of California just this week, how many, how many heard that news report? Well, several of good. The governor said, commanded the state's Department of Public Health to order that singing in churches in California was prohibited until further notice. I want you to know that's against what the word of God says. Now, I'm not, I'm not here to, to say let's rise up against the, the government, all right? We're not, we're not talking about that today. But I am talking about the fact that God has invited us to come and to sing praises unto the Lord. And until, until we face that, I say we ought to do that. We ought to sing praises. We have done that this morning, and we need to continue to sing praises because we serve a great God. Oh, it, enter, we, it allows us to enter into his presence as we begin to sing praises unto the Lord. You know, singing is not just something that has started here in the recent Pentecostal church. But singing has always been a very important component of worship in the Old Testament church and the New Testament church. As far back as Moses, he wrote through the inspiration of the Spirit of God, Moses said, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. In Numbers 21, we read that when God delivered Israel from their enemy, the Canaanites, that Israel sang unto the Lord. When Deborah defeated Sisera by putting a nail through his temple, she said, I will sing unto the Lord. I will sing to the God, Lord God of Israel. When God delivered David from the hand of Saul, David said, I will give thanks unto thee, O Lord, and I will sing praises unto thy name. In 1 Chronicles chapter 16, we are told, sing unto him, sing psalms unto him, talk of his wondrous works. In 2 Chronicles, God told Jehoshaphat, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And when Jehoshaphat did that, he immediately appointed singers to praise the Lord. Both Ezra and Nehemiah appointed singers when they returned to Jerusalem from exile in Babylon. David said, sing unto the Lord, O ye saints, and give him thanks. Forty-nine times at least in just the Psalms alone, we are told to sing unto the Lord. And that theme is carried over into the New Testament as well. 
Ephesians chapter 5 says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. In the letter to the church recorded in Colossians chapter 3, we read, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And James chapter 5 says, Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing. Matthew chapter 26 says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Acts chapter 18 said that at midnight, Paul and Silas, what did they do? They prayed and they sang unto the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 said, I will sing with the Spirit and I will sing with the understanding. I want you to know that we are invited to enter into the presence of God through our singing, not just singing any song, not just singing just a, a pleasant melody, but when we begin to sing praises unto God, when we begin to open our heart, praise the Lord, there's something supernatural that takes place when we sing praises unto God. Oh, let's give him another hand clap of praise this morning. Praise the Lord. And so we receive an invitation to sing unto the Lord. I just have to add that in this psalm, in that verse, it says, sing praises unto the rock of our salvation. Now, we're used to that phrase, that we use that a lot, talk about the rock of our salvation, of course, is Christ. And we know that that's a common phrase that is used. It was not the case in the days that this was first written. That was not understood what that was referring to. This indeed is a direct reference to Jesus Christ. But the Jewish writers of the Old Testament and the scholars that studied the Psalms and the other uh, 38 books of the Old Testament, they did not understand what this phrase meant, the rock of my salvation. In fact, the renowned and highly respected Jewish commentators, Kyle and Delich, they said that it is not clear what this phrase is referring to. It is never made known what it means. You see, to the Jews, they did not understand who the rock of our salvation was. But when we read it and realize that David was inspired over a thousand years before Christ came, it tells us a whole lot of things. Well, first of all, it tells us that the Word of God is divinely inspired, that God told David to write about the rock of our salvation. He, David didn't fully understand it. David didn't realize that Jesus Christ would be our salvation, but, but God put that in there for us to know that indeed He is the author. God Almighty is the author of the Word of God. And he put that in there a thousand years before Jesus Christ would ever become that rock of salvation. And then, of course, it tells us, praise the Lord, we have much more reason to worship God because we know that it was Jesus Christ that came down and gave his life on the cross and indeed became the rock of salvation. So if the Old Testament saints, 
We're called to worship him, invited to worship him. Indeed, we have much more reason to respond to that invitation and to come into his presence as we worship him. And then in verse 2, this invitation is expanded. We receive the second part. It says, to come with thanksgiving. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. And again, we look to our society in which we live. Currently, it seems that any genuine thanksgiving by our society has been lost. Not, they're not thankful what we're seeing in the media. They're not thankful for the sacrifice that has been made for this nation by great heroes like Theodore Roosevelt, George Washington, or Abraham Lincoln. There's no thanksgiving for those great patriots of old. They are not thankful for the sacrifice of our law enforcement officials or our police. They are not thankful for them. They are not thankful for the laws that govern and protect us and the property that we, that we have, that we've worked hard for, but rather allowing lawlessness to be overlooked. But most of all, it seems like our society is not thankful for what God has done for us. It's not thankful that it has been God that has blessed us. Not thankful that it has been God that has purchased our salvation. And that's one reason we've gathered here today. Not just to celebrate the nation that he's given to us, but the fact that he is the rock of our salvation. That we know that it is in him is our help. He is the one that will fight our battles. And I'm thankful to be living in a nation that allows us to still worship the Lord in thanksgiving. I am thankful to God what he has done for me. I am thankful to God what he has given me. I am thankful to God that he is the rock of our salvation. Oh, everyone, give the Lord a hand clap of praise if you're thankful this morning. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Throughout the Old Testament, we are commanded not only to sing, but also with thanksgiving. The psalmist over and over and over again writes about giving thanks for the wondrous works of God. In Psalm 50, we are invited to offer unto God praise with thanksgiving and to pay our vows to the Most High. In Psalm 69, David said, I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving because thanksgiving pleases the Lord better than a sacrifice of oxen or bullock. That's how important a thankful heart is. Oh, it was important when they brought that bullock. Can you imagine bringing a bullock or an oxen to be sacrificed before the Lord. But God said, more important than that is a heart of thanksgiving. I want you to know that this morning, I'm not only going to sing, but I'm going to sing with thanksgiving because I know how good God has been to me. 
Oh, let me tell you, if you can't raise your hand and begin to be thankful unto the Lord, then you, you're missing something because God has blessed this nation. He has blessed this people. He has blessed this preacher. Praise the Lord. He is the rock of our salvation. He has been so good to me. I'm thankful I know him. Let's just raise our hands and worship him just for a moment with a thankful heart. God, you have blessed us. God, you have been so good to us. We praise your name for it. We thank you to God. We thank you to God. No wonder Psalm 100 is one of our favorites. It says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Again, singing. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Oftentimes throughout scripture, these two components are linked together, singing and thanksgiving. Praise the Lord. And as we do that, we enter into the presence of the Lord. Now, there's one other final component to this invitation of come. Come, let us sing. Come, let us enter with thanksgiving. And then finally, verse 6 says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Here again, we see our society has perverted this aspect of worship, that of kneeling. Currently, kneeling is no longer associated with worship of God. When you talk about kneeling in our society, in our media, they don't envision someone kneeling before God. They envision someone that is perhaps protesting. This is something, kneeling is something that has been given a new definition. There has been a revision of what it means to most people. It was started, of course, a few years ago by a now famous NFL player. He, he's not famous because he was a good player, but he's, he's famous for his, uh, because he protested. I'm not going to mention his name uh, and give him any more uh, fame. But he kneeled in protest at the plane of the Star-Spangled Banner before a preseason game. Now it's something that is widespread. And almost every team, the entire team, or at least a good part of them, will kneel in protest, using kneeling as something that is really against what I'm preaching about today. It's a, it's a form of protest, not kneeling in what the Bible says is the value of kneeling. What does it mean to kneel? What emotions and beliefs does this action communicate? Certainly it has been twisted and changed and perverted in this modern day. You know, kneeling was said by the ancients of the Greeks and the Romans to be unworthy, not worthy of a free man. They, they would say that a free man should never kneel. The Greeks considered it something that only the barbarians did. They regarded kneeling as an expression of perhaps superstition. Aristotle called it a barbaric form of behavior. 
Even the Catholic Saint Augustine agreed with them, saying that we should never kneel. Kneeling as worship, which is the true meaning, does not come from any other culture or other secular source or teacher. It comes only from the Bible as we define it. It comes from the Word of God and knowledge of the Word of God. Kneeling as worship began in Scripture and in the Bible days. And the importance of kneeling is clearly seen in the Bible. There are actually three different words that are translated into our King James English as kneeling. Three different words in the Bible. The first one, they have, and they all have distinct and different meanings. One means respect. One means surrender to authority. And then, of course, the third one is worship. I want to talk just for a moment about these three. The first word for kneeling means respect. It's used in the Bible occasionally to describe someone that would kneel before a king or a queen or perhaps even uh, some other person of authority. It is the same word that is used at, when a, uh, a, a young man kneels before his potential bride, his hopeful bride, to ask for her hand in marriage. At least that's what men used to do. We, we kneel to get down oftentimes to a child's level. We kneel to beg, perhaps. And while we don't know for sure, <clears throat> kneeling probably came because it represents nonverbal behavior. It, it, it brings a person down. It makes a person look smaller. And so the meaning of that word that is used as kneel in the Bible means out of respect, out of respect. The second word for kneel in Scripture means surrender or submission to authority. This is used several times in the Gospels. And one familiar passage is where in Mark chapter 1, a leper comes to Jesus to beg him for help and kneels before Jesus. He doesn't kneel in worship, but he kneels because he is submitting to the authority that Jesus had in being able to heal him. But it is not an act of adoration or worship, this second word for kneel. But then finally, there is that third word, that third word that is translated kneel, and it means in worship, not just a physical sign, but also it is it is joined with something that happens in the heart. When you kneel down, if you're only doing it as a physical expression, then indeed you are really not kneeling in the Bible sense. The Bible sense says that kneeling comes with a, a oftentimes a physical sign where the, the knees go to the ground, but more importantly, there's something that happens in the spirit of a man or a woman when they kneel in the presence of God. And that expression that is used for worship is found first in the New Testament. It is not found in secular writings. And only the Christians 
in the days of the Bible and much beyond that ever kneeled before their God in worship. Other religions did not do it. They, it was never, you never kneeled before a Greek God or a Roman God. But it was a gesture that someone did before the true God. The actual technical word is genuflection that takes place when you kneel in the presence of God with a, 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 a subservient heart, with a heart that says, you are my God. You are my creator. You are my savior that, that saved my soul. That is what happens when someone kneels. And so when the psalmist wrote, he really was again prophetic in verse six, because a thousand years before kneeling was ever used in Christian worship, he says, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Praise the Lord. And I want you to know that these three components that are given as an invitation in Psalm 95 still extends to the church today. And I would encourage you, not only this morning, but to let it become a part of your life that you sing praises unto God. Oh, come let us sing. Oh, come, let us give thanksgiving. Oh, come, let us kneel down before him. He is the rock of our salvation. I want you to know that we have a reason to praise the Lord. We have something to be thankful for. And in my spirit, I, I kneel before him because he's been so good to me. Let's give the Lord one more hand clap of praise. <laughs> praise the Lord. My final scripture is from Philippians chapter 2. And it shows us the importance of worship and kneeling. It says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted Christ and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. Oh, there's a coming a day when everyone will bow in his presence. Praise the Lord. I want to bow right now. I want to bow in my spirit. I want to bow. I love to pray when I'm on my knees. Now, I can pray when I'm walking. I know a lot of people, they do these prayer walks. That's great. That's, I'm glad for you. I, I love to pray on my knees because it is showing uh, uh, by a physical sign, praise the Lord, that I am uh, in submission to the Almighty God because he has been so good to me. Praise the Lord. You know, I love to study church history. And in closing, I'd like just to share with you one brief story. It is about Martin Luther in 2017, just three years ago. It marked the 500-year anniversary of the launch of the Reformation, which, of course, was started by Martin Luther as God directed him and brought us to the place that we are today. And indeed, God's hand was the driving force behind it. But Martin Luther went to Rome wanting a spiritual experience. I might just add that Martin Luther 
was going through much of the same things that we were going through. He was in the middle of the bubonic plague that killed millions of people in Europe. And while his city evacuated, Martin Luther stayed there to serve his local church as their pastor. And it was during this time when he was discouraged, when he wondered if there was any help that he could find. It was then that he took this journey to Rome. And there he was looking for some answers, as many of you may be today. And he visited the graves of 46 popes or church leaders at that time and the cemeteries of some 80,000 martyrs that had died for the church. He then visited a place called the Scala Sancta, which means holy stairs in Latin. According to Christian tradition, these stairs were the very steps that Jesus had climbed in Jerusalem when he was led before Pontius Pilate, before he was crucified. And in the fourth century, they brought those stairs, those very steps, from Jerusalem to Rome. It consists of 28 pieces of white marble that still remain there today. I'm sure that there's people here that have seen those stairs. And so Martin Luther went to Rome and he was trying to find peace, was trying to find a new level of in God's presence, trying to find an answer for the things that he was facing, not unlike some of the things that we are facing today. And Martin Luther said that when he came to those stairs, that God spoke to him, that he would climb those 28 stairs on his knees. And as he dropped to his knees in worship and began to climb those 28 stairs on his knees, it was there that God spoke to him and gave him the theme for the Reformation the just shall live by faith. He was brought to a place of spiritual experience that he had never had before. Luther later would write about it and talk about how that God visited him at that place. Was it the stairs? No, it wasn't. Was it the fact that he had traveled hundreds of miles from his home? No. It wasn't even that he had gone through such a terrible pandemic himself and sacrificed for it. But it was because he not only physically kneeled in the presence of God, but in his spirit, he submitted his life and submitted his heart and realized, God, everything I have comes from you. And all that I live for is for you. And what I desire in this world is found in you. And as he did that, God spoke to him and said, the just shall live by faith. And that was the beginning of the Reformation. 
I want you to know that this morning as we seek the presence of God, and every one of you should be, as should I, as we desire to be drawn closer to Him, as we search for answers in this troubled world, I want you to know that the invitation is given to us in Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us sing. Oh, come with thanksgiving. Oh, come, let us kneel in His presence. And as we begin to worship the Lord, we, we don't even know how it happens. We, we don't even know the questions. We don't know the, certainly don't know the answers, but I want you to know that God will reveal to us and bring us into a place of safety like we've never seen before. I don't know that it will be a start of a, a new reformation, but it might be. It might be the start of a new revival in your family and in your community and in this church and the lives that you touch if you come with singing and you come with thanksgiving and you come kneeling in your heart that God, you are the rock of my salvation. And that concludes this podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. And for those of you on iTunes, leave us a good rating. Thank you for listening to the NLCC Lancaster Podcast.